Welcome to the Jacob Larson Show. I'm Dr. Jacob Larson, and thank you so much for listening. On this show, we like to talk about education, technology, and media, which is all incredibly important in these <laughs> very unusual times that we have right now during this COVID-19 pandemic. But something else happened recently that's very significant, which also probably affects the future of education. So, Let's talk about it. Over the weekend, um, reports came in that uh, Joe Biden was going to win state of Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania during the election, which would give him enough electoral votes. At least that's what that's what's projected. And with that, he'd be he'd secured the nomination uh, for the presidency. Not the nomination. Just he'd win it. Now I know um, there's many people that uh, the final count isn't in, and, and you're not sure what's going to happen, and and that's fine. We'll see if the courts change anything. But at this point, things look like Joe Biden won, and so that's what I want to talk about today. What does education look like under a Biden administration? Now, I'm not an expert on politics or or anything like that but i'm going to give my two cents on what i think based on what i've been able to research and find um might be coming down the pipeline first i want to preface by talking about what control a president actually has over education before i get into specifics about joe biden himself so let's get started all right, first of all, and I, and I like to re remind my students this and, and even other teachers, when you hear politicians talking about what they're going to do for education, first thing we need to understand is what control do they actually have over education? The president has no control over education, at least not directly. There's really no, <laughs> there's nothing in the Constitution about education. So it falls to the states, right? And that's the, uh, unless I'm wrong, that's the 10th Amendment basically says, all right, what, whatever's not in the Constitution, that's up to the states and the states are in charge. So um, late 1780s or whatever, whenever the Constitu Constitution is ratified, the concept of public, ed public education just didn't exist. Um, based on my research, and I, I may be off a little bit by the years, but we started around 1850 or so getting this concept of public education in the United States. And it has grown from that point to not just being a service that is provided, but it's expected of students from kindergarten through high school. But all that control and even these mandates, if you will, that's all come through state government and local officials on the county and the city level. That's not federal control. That's not really one of the powers of the federal government. Now, eventually, the United States did form the U.S. Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education does not control schools. It can influence how schools operate. And that's important to understand. And is the Department of Education underneath the president? Yes. It does fall under the executive branch. The president does 
um, put forward someone that he, uh, eventually maybe she, wishes to be their secretary for education. The secretary of education has to be approved by the Senate. And then, of course, there's, there's laws that govern what the secretary of education can do as the head of the Department of Education. But basically what it comes down to is this. The Department of Education can make sure that schools are not breaking federal law, specifically when it comes to things like um, access and, and uh, special education and, and things like that. that, that those come down from the federal, they're not so much state level ideas. They are things that we need to do. Beyond that, the Department of Ed really is a grant organization. They can give money or they cannot give money. And that's kind of what it comes down to. A lot of the things that we, we think of as being federal law are really not. Um, they're the federal government through the department of education has put out um, an opportunity for states to get money if they follow certain rules. And if the states follow those rules, they can get money through the form of funding grants, whatever. And the way states often operate is by making what the federal government is asking for state law which does put it into effect and it does affect schools so that the state's locked in to a situation where they can get continuous funding from the government. Does that make sense? Hopefully I'm explaining this right. And yes, there's student loans are going to be operated through the department of ed, but again, that's about getting money or not getting money. And one of the ways that the federal government likes to put pressure on schools is to say, we will not give you money for such and such and such and such. For schools that a significant portion of their money comes through federal grants or state grants that are dependent on federal money, these rules are extremely significant and they make a big deal. Now, how are schools funded? Well, we'll go through that really quickly because this builds up to our our own projections for what we think the next four years might look like for education in the United States under a Biden presidency. There's a lot that we can expect um, federal governments, local agencies and whatever to do, but largely they're going to be in response to money. I mean, that's, that's the short version of everything. So let's, uh, (laughs) Let's jump straight into um, to that. Okay, anyway, <laughs> sorry, I lost my train of thought for just a second. Okay, so let's talk about Biden specifically. If a presidential candidate is going around saying, I'm going to do this for schools or I'm going to do that for schools, they can't just do that. If funding is already approved through the Department of Education, then maybe they can, Right. And if it's a matter of just choosing how the budget is distributed to schools, yes, the president can have some say because the secretary of education reports to the president. 
So that's important to understand. But if it's something that hasn't happened yet, then we're just talking about laws that don't exist yet. And we need to remember, just because the president wants something to happen doesn't mean that it will. The president needs for the Senate and the House to agree before a a law can get to his desk to sign. Up until that point, it's just what's already approved and budgeted for the Department of Ed. What can they already do? Beyond that, and this is where Congress has a whole lot of power, not just over Department of Ed, but over wars and other things like that, is they control spending. They approve or they do not approve money that the president can distribute through his various departments. Okay, so with that in mind, we understand what the president may be able to do regardless of whatever he says that he can actually do. That's important to, to understand. Okay, that being said, let's talk about Biden and Jill Biden specifically because I think this is really interesting. There, I, I had heard Jill Biden referred to as Dr. Biden in the past, and I'd never looked into what sort of doctor she is. And so I think it was Saturday night um, around the time of the... Uh, Biden's acceptance speech. I started looking into it. I pulled up the Wikipedia page and I very quickly found out. It's like, oh, okay. She's, <laughs> she's not just a, an adjunct professor somewhere. And on occasion she teaches a class, which is something that many people do that are busy, but you know, want to keep teaching. Um, that's not, that's not her at all. She, uh, she was. She started out as a high school English teacher, among other things, and eventually um, went back to school, got a master's, eventually got a doctorate, and for the last several years, I don't know the exact number. They say a total of thirty years in education. She started teaching at the community college level, and you know sometimes it's been part time, sometimes it's been full time. She's a community college. English teacher. She's not just someone who, who went out and got a, a degree and flaunts it and then travels the country with her husband saying, yeah, I was a classroom teacher once. No, as she traveled the country with her husband, she brought her papers along. She would travel on the weekends because she was teaching during the week. And then she would grade papers in between whatever she was doing as far as the campaign trail. She is a working teacher. And I think that's really important to understand. A lot of hubbub was made as they're like, she's going to be the first first lady to hold a job outside of the White House while her husband's in office. And I think that's really interesting that despite all his Senate success, she really has continued to be a classroom teacher. So, We're going to get back to that in just a bit. His wife has a significant amount of experience in the classroom and continues to this day. The more and more I read about her, the more and more I feel like I kind of understood where she's coming from because her story is similar to my story. I am a high school English teacher. I have a master's degree. 
I have a doctorate in education. In fact, her doctorate, it's not in English. It's an educational doctorate in educational leadership, which is, I would argue, probably the most common kind of educational um, doctorate. It's not a PhD, though. It's an EDD. It's a different set of letters at the end. And if you don't know this, I, someone who has an EDD is probably going to explain it to you. PhD is a, is a doctorate of philosophy. And, and basically, the process is you do a whole lot of research, and you're talking about theories and ideas that could be put into practice. An educational doctorate is different. An educational doctorate is going to require an actual, an ex, an actual experiment to test out educational theory. And uh, that's what I did um, from her, research, her dissertation topic, which I haven't read through. It talks about retention and community colleges, which is an incredibly valuable background for someone that is so close to the president, especially if you're like me, I teach at a community college. Retention is incredibly important, and it makes sense why they might want to push community colleges so hard. That's what she does. And it's such a valuable tool or it could be. So we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Okay. So that's Dr. Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady designate elect (laughs) coming up in January. Okay. So what's this mean for Joe Biden? Obviously, he's, he's very closely associated with education, though he's not an educator himself or hasn't been his wife of uh, 30-something years. I, I don't know the actual number. Maybe it's longer. You know what? I think it's longer. It's like the 70s. Anyway, he, that's, that's what he knows, and that's really valuable for teachers because regardless of your politics— you know that this individual in charge of the country has a pretty good idea of what you're going through. And that's valuable. And I'm not sure we've ever had a president who's had that sort of experience. Okay. So I was interested. So I went to Biden's website and I looked up what he has to say about education. He has a video that kind of goes through it. It has uh, Dr. Biden talking about education and like a stump speech. And it has a bunch of things flashing on the screen, what President Biden would like to do. So I'm going to list some of those things here. Pre-K for all, which is access for everyone, um, starting from pre-kindergarten, have access to education. All right, so second on the list, they talk about an interest in students that are graduating high schools, graduating with some sort of college credits and or some sort of certification in some uh, vocation or CTE or something like that. That I want to talk about in a little bit talks about uh, tripling funding for schools with the purpose of increasing teacher salaries, doubling the number of schools, psychologists, counselors, social workers, and other people to help address the social and emotional uh, learning needs of students and eliminate the funding gap between rich and poor schools. So let's, let's talk about these things. What's realistic, what's practical, and, uh, and go from there. Okay, pre-K for all. Like, it, like I was saying before, what can the federal government actually do? The federal government can put money towards it with 
rules on how it's supposed to be spent. And then, you know, they leave it up to the states to distribute and something like that. Can that be done? Can can the federal government give money, money that is tied to pre-K? Yes. Yes, it can. Again, with all these situations, if Congress approves it and the Department of Ed has access to it, they can distribute it. That can act, That can absolutely be done. Now, is that a good idea? But yeah. Um, I'll be honest, both, both of my children who are of age, they've been able to go through um, pre-K largely because they, they had needs for it, um, specifically like speech and, and whatever. But there was funding for it. And they were able to go to to pre-K, paid for by a government agency, and that gave a great resource for my students, my my students, my children, to uh, to have access to some help for speech. And that continued um, into elementary school afterwards. Okay, high school students graduating with college credits and vocation certification. I think this is really important. We in edu- sometimes in, in school, and I'm a high school teacher and a college teacher, so I I get this. Um, we're really good at pushing that everyone needs to go to college and everyone needs to do this, and I think we mean different things when we talk about that. I I live and work in a small community, and we work very closely with the community college in this area. So when we talk about college, we almost never mean university. And this is a junior college. And a lot of people, when they think of like a vocational training, they're not going to use the term college with it. They're not going to be thinking of that. I, when I think of education, when I think of college education, I'm thinking there's a two-year school down the road that I teach at. And a majority of my students, if they go to college, that's where they're going to go. So when I say college, that's what I mean. And I know that's not what everyone thinks of, but that's that's where I'm coming from. And so because of this close relationship that the high schools in the area have, we offer a lot of dual enrollment classes, which is when there's a certified person available on campus like myself, I can offer a college class here at the high school for high school students that they get high school credit for. They also get college credit for. Of course, they they have to qualify and they have to actually pass the class. And the school takes care of the money and whatever. So what I'm hearing in this plan, my, my community does that already. We're already trying to get as many high school students as we can to have college credit and maybe even some sort of CTE career and technical education certification before they leave. There's funding for CTE uh, throughout Arizona. If they mean more funding for that, that's fantastic. If if they mean funding to support dual enrollment programs like what I participate in, that would be fantastic because it is something that schools have to find the money to pay for, for these opportunities for students. And it would also help buoy up the community college system um, as they work closer with the high schools in their area, for example. Now, that's just me projecting how my area does this. Maybe that would be a fantastic thing going forward. Now, I remember under President Obama, he talked a lot about what community colleges could do, and he wanted to find extra funding for that and, and whatever. I don't know that this is the exact same idea, I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar and maybe just a little more targeted, but 
is it a good thing for our high school students to be able to graduate high school with a jump ahead on college education? Maybe some sort of certification that they can go directly to work, maybe through like an LNA program or, or, or something else. That would be fantastic. And if there's funding for it, great. Now, I'm not talking about taxes and I'm not talking about anything political like that side. I'm just talking about if the money's there, would this be great? I think so. Okay, now the real hard sell. In the video, they talk about how teachers spend a lot of money paying for supplies in their classroom. And sometimes teachers pick up a second job so that they have enough money to pay the bills. That is absolutely true. That's been my experience. And I know that's true for many other teachers that I know. And I assume it affects a lot of teachers throughout the country. I knew a teacher, he drove an ice truck outside of work. Uh, I know, I mean, there's teachers like myself that they pick up extra teaching. And there's teachers that coach. There's teachers that do a lot of things. With that split attention, It, I can see how that could have a negative effect in that they are being pulled too thin. And hypothetically, though I don't know that there's data to support this, if that wasn't necessary, would it help students? I sure hope so. The wording that they use in the video is that teachers are professionals and they should be paid like it. Whether you agree or disagree with this, there is a lot of qualification that a teacher has to go through to even get to the classroom. In Arizona, the certification process goes something like this. I'm going to talk about high school, slightly different for the lower grades. High school, to get a secondary education certificate, this is what you have to do. You need a bachelor's degree. You need to be highly qualified for your subject matter. Now, highly qualified can be accomplished a couple different ways. Um, for me, I had a master's degree in my subject area, so that qualified. Um, you can take a test that is proctored through like Pearson or something like that that shows that you qualify um, to teach that subject area. You need to take a test that shows that you understand uh, you know, all the necessary praxis, whatever, for teaching at that appropriate level. I had to take that test and pass it. You need to, uh, to have a fingerprint clearance card. Um, which basically means that you're going to pass a background check and you don't, you know, you're not going to be a danger to students, things like that. And in Arizona, we have a couple extra qualifications. We require students to take a class in Arizona and U.S. Constitution, so you kind of understand how government works. We're also required to take an SEL class or two, I think two, um, which shows that you, you have some experience helping students where English is not their first language. Um, and there's, there's requirements like that. Plus, you have to complete a teaching certification program, which for many people, it's going to be part of their bachelor's degree. Uh, for me, I had finished my master's before I went to a teaching certification program. So I have my bachelor's degree, I have my master's degree. On top of that, I did 30-something credits, specifically in education on top of that. And then my doctorate was after that. So to get into the classroom... There's a lot of instruction that you need to have. And I think many people don't value how much training goes into that. And then you have to maintain your certification through 
you know, every, it's different from state to state. In Arizona, once you're, you have a standard certificate, that's what they call it. Once you have a standard certificate, you need something like 80, 90 professional development hours every, I don't know, six years to maintain that. We get that basically every single year at my site. So I'm getting hundreds of hours of professional development each certification cycle. Teachers do a whole lot of work to stay relevant, to stay up to date, and that's even before they get to the classroom. Are they professional? Should they be treated like it? I think so. Now, plain devil's advocate, I totally get and understand that. To honestly educate all of our children across the entire country, millions and millions of students, that requires millions of teachers. And is there enough money to do it right? And I think that's the problem, is to do the system correctly takes a whole lot of money. And I know not everybody thinks that money should be spent that way. Um, President Biden has said that he thinks so. He wants to triple funding for schools with the intention of increasing teacher salaries. With the added um, intention that that means that they get to focus more on the classroom, that there's enough class site funds and whatever. In Arizona, we just, we happened to pass a bill um, to increase class site fun, uh, funds for teachers. And, uh, and hopefully that, that goes through smoothly and that's, that's fair and appropriate for everybody. President Biden has said that he wants to do that on a national level to increase funding, which if Congress approves it, that is something that they're capable of doing. They want to double the number of school psychologists, counselors, social workers, and others to address social and emotional learning needs of our students. Again, if Congress approves that, that would be fantastic. I know that that's an emphasis our school has been thinking a lot about because especially with the pandemic, we are very concerned about the social and emotional needs of our students. We're changing how our school assesses um, how we work. We're trying to move to a, an MTSS model. I talked about that in the last episode so that we can address not just the academic, but also the behavioral, the social and emotional needs of students and educate the whole child. That's the buzzword, right? But that's what we're working towards because we recognize that there's a lot more that affects the student's abilities to learn and be successful than just teaching them math, science, reading, and so on. If we had more funding, there's a lot of things that we could address and help, which also takes a burden off of families to do it on their own. And he wants to eliminate the funding gap between rich and poor schools. He uses this term, you know, no matter what zip code you're in, you get a good education. Okay. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, part of the ways that schools are funded are through um, local taxes um, to support the schools. Uh, our area tried to put one through. I think it failed. It usually does because oftentimes people don't want to put money into education, uh, especially if it's coming out of their own pocket. Um, and the point of this is not me arguing that people need to spend more money on education. I'm just talking about the practicality of it. So if, what would that look like? I have no idea how you address that, but when an area is better off, 
that it's more affluent. Um, there's other funding options that they can do. People can donate to the school. People can pay for uh, grants and scholarships and other things. Tax, uh, you know, property taxes might be higher and, and things like that could can help and have a significant impact on the school. And that's usually to the detriment of urban areas which are poorer that have less funding because the area around them doesn't have the money to put towards schools either. So it's left to whatever the state can afford. And from state to state, it varies. If federal government has access to funds and they push it to schools through the form of grants, that it would be interesting that I'm not sure exactly how that works, just like I w I'm not sure how everything else would work. But if this is a priority for Joe Biden, then and Congress is is willing to work with him on it and they're able to to find this out, it could be a very significant impact to how schools operate because it can take the stress off of things that make educating children's diff children difficult. Now, do I think it'll happen? I don't know. Because it requires a whole lot of people to agree on the specifics and to pass it through. We'll see. But knowing that there is someone who's interested in it is the first step. And if you're a teacher and you are interested in more funding in the classroom, this is a good sign. If you don't agree with his politics, that's fine. If you do agree with his politics, that's fine too. But the very least I think that we can agree on is that having an educator in the White House with the president can only be a good thing. And I hope that it is. Now, I don't know much more than what I was able to find through some quick research online about Dr. Biden herself, but I, I feel this can be a very good thing. And, uh, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, what do you think? What do you think uh, President Biden should do? do? Do you like his plans? Are you concerned about him wanting to spend so much money? Are you concerned where it's going to come from? I want to hear what you have to say. And uh, so let me know. Um, you can uh, you can message anywhere where we uh, where we post this, this show and others. You can email me directly at jacob at drlartson.com. I'm curious what you think. And, uh, and I'd like to uh, address that as we go forward in episodes like this. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your time. I hope that this was of a value to you. So thank you again. I'm Dr. Jacob Lartson. You've been listening to The Jacob Lartson Show.